0: Well, I really appreciate those kind words. We do uh, ha- probably have some stories that uh, maybe I can't share here today. Hey, Pastor. That's my pastor over there. Thank you. So uh, he uh, is a, a very uh, inspiration to me as well. A lot of you guys out here I've been with, and I'm going to tell you first off, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today and Alan asking me to come and and I talked to Pastor Dixon too the other day on the phone and I just wanted you to know that he said I had a full two hours to speak (laughs) Alan says we'll just flip off the lights because we're gonna be gone so anyway I'm I'm joking I want to tell you though that I appreciate the fact of being here to say this we are in a service to our families is whether or not we're in the organization of our, our ministers or our hospice or whatever we do, we're in it to serve families. I've been doing this for a long time. I'm not going to go over about me. It's not about me. You, wow. He asked me for, to send something about it and I put that down. I think it was that long, so whatever. But I want you to know, I've been in this profession, and it's hard to believe, for almost 37 years. I started when I was five and <laughs> couldn't drive. No, I'm yeah. kidding. I wasn't very old. I was 17 and a half years old when I went to work for the funeral home. And the funeral director mm-hmm. that I went to work for, uh, well, I was mowing the yard. I was washing cars or whatever. And then he says, you got a suit? <laughs> I said, yeah, I have a suit. I have one and a clip on tie. And so I, I went up to work because he wanted me help with a funeral service that day. And he told me, he said, whatever you do in every family, if you do this for your profession, treat every family like they're yours. You'll never go wrong. Wow. So everybody that works with me at Wiley's, I have always told them that. Hey, you've got this. I know you have some families that are a challenge for other, for different reasons, but you got this guys, treat them like they're your family and you'll never go wrong. And I still say that today. That funeral director among many had that same goal, but that funeral director was my friend. That's the one that I saw what he did for the community where I grew up. I saw what he did for families that were in need and about three years ago, he was making a, a call at the hospital, someone who passed away, and was sitting in the room talking to the family and had a massive heart attack and died right there. They called me. Of all the funeral directors they could call, they called me, and I was just devastated, of course, because we were like family. And they, his wife said, I want you to come. I want you to handle these cares because she said we've done this every day of our life Roy but today I can't put one foot in front of the other please come I was honored I was overwhelmed I went back to my hometown I I took our cars I did everything the way he would want us to do it it was, it was a difficult time. But even with her the, as a trained professional and one that we've been through this together as a field director and a field director's wife, we knew what we were faced with. Because when we do this, we have to be the best of the best. And you guys as ministers and other caregivers know that when you're faced with a family, how many times, I don't, I'm not preaching to you because you know you get these questions that you're thinking, uh, well, I don't know how to answer that. Things have changed over the years. When I first started in this profession, we, I've joked about it, probably with Alan in the car on the way back from the cemetery. But I've I've talked about the fact of how things have changed over the years, you've seen this. I remember the days that a funeral was this, okay, first of all, you meet with the family, you have to have the service in three days because that's just what you do, and you have it at the church because that's just what you do, and we go to the cemetery and we have two songs basically, Amazing Grace and In the Garden, and that's it, and you don't go from that. Let me tell you it's different today. So there are times that I'm faced with and maybe and I'm sure you as pastors have been faced with uh, Can we have this particular song? Now you're gonna tell them no because I'm the one that's always said do not tell a family. No There's a way to get where we need to be Well, I had a young family one time to to offer a song. I'm not gonna tell you what it is So that you may be related to them. I don't know <laughs> You may remember this, but anyway, they said, we want to play this song at the end. Huh. Woo, I know what was, I played it, I I didn't know it, and I pulled it up, and I'm going, oh my gosh. It had some words in there that we didn't really need to play. And I said, i tell you what, I got it. Okay, I'll do it. Here's what I think. This song is so important to you, and it's so important to your family. Let's play it just for our family at the graveside. When everyone else leaves, let's just stay there together as family and let's play that song together. Boy, that's wonderful. so nobody else heard it. When we deal with families, they walk in the door, they're at a loss. We're at a loss when you walk in your door in your office. What do you do with some families that... Maybe they don't, I get this a lot, they don't have a church home. They don't have that. They're, 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 I'm not picking on young people. There are a lot of young people that are very, very strong in church organizations and thank God for them. But there are families out there nowadays that don't have a church home. And when they walk in and they start to make arrangements with me, they're grieving. They're hurting, they don't know what to do. And I'll say, do you have a minister? Well, no, or whatever, or whatever, and then I try to go with "Well, some of your family members or a member of this church, or this church, or whatever, or this faith, let's go there. Let's pull in this minister for help. Let's pull in this organization that can help you with aftercare. So we have, at the funeral home, have started that programs too, aftercare, things that we are really focusing on and going after the fact of the service that we need to do these things. I went for training to be, uh, and, and as a celebrant it says, to be able to do that, to be licensed to do that. Because there's times when you're gonna have families that say, I don't want the traditional service. Well that's hard for me, I grew up in a church home thank the Lord for that. When I went to the celebrate training I'm going to tell you real quick we had a cert we, we, we got through the training and the, and the speaker and the instructor told me she said we're going to have at the end of this training you're going to be uh, responsible for doing a mock service and speaking and, and conducting it I said, like, I got this I've been it many times when there's a minister say I can't go to the graveside. Can you read the 23rd Psalm? Can you do it? Well, yeah, I can read the 23rd Psalm. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, I can do that. And can you pray with this family? Can you lead the Lord's Prayer? Yes. And so you do these kind of things. So I had that, and, the, and she heard that, that I could do that. So she said, okay, so here's your challenge. This is your service. You have a mock service of this family, and your goal is you're going to conduct this service they don't want any scripture. Oh. They don't want any prayer. Do not bring the word God up. Man, I started to quit. You know. So I said, okay. And I had to do that to pass this class. So I put together pictures, this, this, all these outlines, and in the urn, they were it was a cremation, and so there we go, and we got through, and I presented, I read the obituary, I talked about what they like to do, I talked about all of their training, and when I got through I thought, man, I just can't say nothing about God. And I said, so thank you all for your attention, and God bless you, and I walked off. <laughs> She said, she looked at me, she goes, you passed. Okay. When we talk to families about grief, there is not enough time in this day to tell you about what we have to do. But there are, you know, you pull up and it says five stages of grief. You've heard it. You've probably read it. Five stages of grief. There's probably a lot more stages, as we all know. We all go through this. Even myself have found myself, as I say, on the other side of the desk, so to speak with my own family, and you have. My family, my personal family, when we have a death in the family, is, are the hardest people in the world to please. My family. Because they say, Roy will take care of it. Roy knows what to do. Now we want this and this and this Roy, but you know what to do. There are stages that we all go through and when they come through the stages, the first one I can think of is denial. That says that, an oscillation. Because people will come in and they want to be, this is not happening. It just cannot be happening to me. I understand. I understand. I say, which I mean with all my heart, your loved one is in our care. Your loved one is in our care. This is happening and we're going to get through this together. I'm going to make every everything in me is going to take every step of this journey with you that's what we all have to do we have to make that step together because there are people from experience this or from all walks of life in many different cultures but I want to remember for you to remember this as I do throughout each stage of this grief a common thread of hope emerges A common thread of hope and that's what is so very very important that we think of is to give that as give that hope to people is what we all have to do because as long as there's life I said as long as there's life there's hope and as long as there's hope there's life so that's true because we, when we talk about a funeral service, I tell every family, hey, this is for you. The funeral is for the family. The ceremony, the celebration of life is for the family. Yeah, we're gonna celebrate the life of your loved one. And we're gonna honor them with what they wanted to do with the disposition of their body, whether it's burial or cremation. But the family is for you. The funeral is for you, the family. It is for a celebration of life that you see a lot of times. We, we call it that, because it is a celebration of life. So when these people and these families come to us and they are de- in denial, we need to keep in mind, and I know you all know this, that every family grieves differently. Every family grieves differently. Some people wear their emotions out on their sleeve and others are outward. And sometimes it's very outward. <laughs> I used to, we, had a, we arranged uh, families, uh, when we made arrangements we had a desk and I sat behind it for years. I took it out a few years ago, I put a long conference table in the center. Boy, that'll be great, it's just like sitting around having a meal together. And I'm sitting in the center and I'm talking to families and many times, as you well know, you have family lined around the table. This half of the family is all for cremation. This half of the family is all for burial. This half of the family says, we don't need a limousine. This half of the family says, well, why can't we have a limousine? And I've got to be the referee in the center. It's hard because people are just at that point. They don't mean these kind of things. It's just a denial. It's just, I don't want to do this. We don't need to be here. And then they get angry.
1: But when they get angry,
0: we just have to go at their pace, we have to calm their, 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 their time that we're together with them. And families are, are so angry sometimes that they lash out at the funeral director and at the minister. Why can't you read what I said? Why didn't you do this? You didn't do, and you, when you wanna say, well, this is the way that God led me to do this service. Because I'm gonna tell you, there is every time that I have a service. I have so many, and I count them great friends in churches and the ministers here, that I tell them that I'll go up, and just about the time I'm walking them down the aisle to go to the podium, I say, hey, brother, I'm praying for you. I don't just say that to be saying it. I've really been back in the back room on my knees. And I had a person tell me one time, When they walked out the door, a family member, I said, I want you to know we're going to be praying for you. He says, don't pray for me. I don't want that. He was angry. I don't want that. Don't pray for me. They said, what would you do? I said, I walked into his car. I went back to the back room and I prayed for him. (laughs) Nobody can stop me from praying. He was angry. He needed it. And then it says... uh, (laughs) Part of it, one of these five stages was bargaining. The normal reaction to feelings or helplessness, it says in this, is they are vulnerable, that they often uh, need to regain a control. If only this had happened, they say. If only we had sought medical attention sooner. If only we'd got a second opinion. If only we had tried to better a person toward them. What if only we'd have done this and and I'm just trying to get information for the service but Roy if only we'd have done this you've got to be ready and when the minister as you come in you know you've sat down with families many times and they said I'm sure pastor but only if we'd have done this you've got we've got to be there to be an uplifting spirit and God gives us that grace God helps us through all of that For those people that don't know and those people that they're after this bargaining tool, so to speak. Guilt, their guilt, they have guilt. Guilt often accompanies bargaining. We start to believe that that there was something that we could do differently to help save this person. If only I'd done this or only I'd done that. We have to reassure the families that, in my opinion, God is in control, and they did nothing wrong. God is in control. Depression, I want to tell you, you know that. People, are they get depressed and get down, and you've got to be there to, to reassure them, and many, many times I'll tell other families, hey, don't forget, call your mom, call your dad, After the funeral, when everybody goes home, that's when they need it. Call them. Say, hey, I'm just thinking of you. How many times, I'll pick up the phone the other day and I called a good friend of ours. He just recently lost his son. We had the service at his church. And I called him the other day and I said, hey, what are you doing? He says, Roy, why is the undertaker calling me now? (laughs) Undertaker. I said, the Undertaker is concerned about you, brother. I just want to know how you're feeling. He said, Well, I don't know if that's a good thing to have the Undertaker call me when I'm to see how I'm feeling. <laughs> <laughs> but he said, But I love you. I said, I love you too, brother. I just want you to know, see ya. That's all it takes. Because people would go back and get depressed, and, and depression comes to all of us. Mm-mm. I want to tell you something that I learned in mortuary school a long time ago when I had lots of hair but I always wanted to be like Alan, so I'm just saying no, seriously when I was in mortuary school there was one thing I remembered. I don't know how I remember because there was many many questions I remember, but I remembered this about how to deal with grieving families and I remembered the three H's, you know, probably already know them too, don't you? the three H's, it was to a grieving family, what do you try to do? Sometimes you go up and go, oh, I was, I, you just want to say too much and you just step on your words and I want to do this and we'll bring food and we'll do this and, and we'll I'll call the pastor and I'll do... Sometimes you want to do the three H's. Just hang around with them, hug them, and hush. Amen. That's it. Hang around, hug them, and hush. Sometimes... And even in, I've said this, and I said this earlier, sometimes I told Don, sometimes when you're speaking, you wanna just speak and get through real quick and ask questions, that's where you really learn what people really wanna know. But sometimes you do that with families that are grieving. When we go through what we do, is just be with them, let them know you're there, and hush, and let them come to you and tell you what, how they can help, how you can help them. And then the fifth stage is acceptance, and acceptance is not easy. But the way that we help family cope with a loss is is, is deep. Because sometimes people, it takes a long time for people to get through this. Sometimes you never forget. I'm sure that a lot of you know your own personal family and you remember every detail. There's some of you in here right now that I'm seeing you right now, and I remember some of your family, that I've had the opportunity to help with the service. I remember the day of some of you are saying right now, I remember the day of where we were at the cemetery. I remember one lady in here, I'm not going to point her out, but I love her to death. And I stood by her side. But she stood by my side too for a lot of times. It's how we deal with everything, how we deal, how we accept our responsibility as caregivers. We're caregivers in every sense of the word. All of us, from pastors to hospice organizations to aftercare to the churches. And I'll say this, you can't say enough about our churches in this community. They are out. Outsta- hey, these ladies that stand in the back that make the meals, from every point of the service, from the time the call comes in to us and the death has occurred till we finish at the cemetery. It's still not over. But look at all the people that have been, had a role in this. And it's all about helping those families in need. So, one of the things about the healing process, the grieving families and the ways that we can help the ways that we can give back to the families and the ways that we can help support the families. These are just kind of a few little ideas. But understanding that grief is normal, allow yourself to mourn and look to others for support. There we are. You take care of yourself, we say. And don't make major decisions while grieving. That's why I'll say, people will say, "Okay, we got to do this." And some people are in a hurry. We need this. We need this, and this song, and we'll just go ahead and have it tomorrow. And whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. Let's think about this together. And you have to think with them, and you have to be with them. And as caregivers and as supporters as we are, we need to also make them understand and remember that grief is unpredictable. Grief is very unpredictable. Grief doesn't move along a path of being predictable, and it doesn't stay in a fixed place. That's true. Grief doesn't move as we think, and then it's over. My father passed away in 1985. I worked at the funeral home. I remember the day in Abilene, Texas, when he passed away. I can tell you how cold it was outside and how much snow was on the ground. The day before that, he told me I'm going home. Get my boots out of the closet. He was a cattle rancher. <laughs> I got his boots out. And the next morning, he went home. Put his boots on him, too. That's all right. But you know what? A lot of people have... Some people say, well, that's a strange request. No, it's not. We'd go with be of, above and beyond to put photographs on the wall and and even put a photograph on a blanket (laughs) and hang of their mom with this picture of her mom on this blanket and and the day that she passed away and she said, oh, I just cuddle up with that at night. They deal with it differently, grieving differently. There's nothing wrong with that. I still have one of my old dad's hats. So what? I, I miss my dad, I know where he is but we have to be there and treat those families as i said when i started treat every family like yours. now i want to tell you something in my experience there are many times that i run across things that will say oh my gosh i can't believe that they asked me to do this i can't believe that this is happening and as a funeral director you got to go okay well we'll just i know the family is supposed to be here and they're not here We'll, we'll just, you know, and we're waiting on one family member, or whatever, the deal, just, just go with it, make it, and, and I go back, and even at, at, at our church, and I might ask our, our song leader, Mickey, to say, hey, play another song or do something. We don't have all the family here. There's different things that happen, but I'm gonna tell a story, I'm not gonna mention the minister, he's not in the room, he's not even in this community anymore. Years and years ago, we had a service. I handed the obituary, as I do to a lot of you ministers you know before the service, you know the family. He got up and he started giving the eulogy. And he said, we're here today to honor the life of Charlie. Charlie was, now listen, the man's name was Tom. (laughs) Oh Lord. I saw the family going, then they're going, what? And they look at me. I typed it right; it's there. And today, that and today that we go today, and we're going to be laying to get to rest Charlie. And and finally, the the family stood up and said, "It's Tom; it's not Charlie." I said, "Oh my Lord!" And they looked at me and said, "Roy, did you not type that?" Oh, I had to, yes, but I took up for our minister. But anyway, we have all kinds of things that happen. You just got to roll with it and go. But probably the best time. I can tell you this, okay. And I hate to tell this because these other guys, they're gonna they're gonna get me on this. My my good pastor, friends. There was a time when it was in Granbury, Texas, and we were about to have this funeral service, and an out-of-town minister showed up. He was probably in his late seventies, and it was cold outside. And he came in, and he said he got started right at the last minute there, you know, and he was running late and we're going to the cemetery. <coughs> we're going out to Holly Hills Cemetery. And he said, oh, I got a late start. And <laughs> I've had this cough and this cold. And now will you be available if I can't speak at the end? Sure, sure. Uh, you know, like Barney Fife, I was shaking, my knees were knocking. Sure, I'll be available. Oh, he said, uh, I just, I just wish I had not run out so late I, I forgot my overcoat. I don't even have an overcoat and it. it's going to be so cold and I'm going to tell you a true story. The day before that I had just bought a brand new London Fog overcoat, an expensive one. I was wearing my old one because I didn't want to get it dirty because it's raining and that's crazy. But that new overcoat was out there in my truck. You say what you want to, but the Lord told me, you've got one in your truck. Well, so I thought to myself, okay, I'll give you my old one. <laughs> I'm not going to put the new one on. I went out and got my new overcoat out and I went over and I said, brother, I want you to have, you can wear this coat to the cemetery. He said, oh my gosh, bless your heart. He put this on, he told his wife, he said, look what this fuel director did. Oh my God, what's your name, brother? Roy. Oh, Roy. Oh my gosh, I just want to thank you so much. Oh, you saved my life. <laughs> this cough is probably not going to be as bad now because of your new overcoat. I said, I want to say <clears throat> London Fog Overcoat, $500. But anyway, <laughs> sure, he's wearing it to the cemetery. We got out to the cemetery, got to Holly Hills. He stood up out there. He, he, he conducted the service. and He said, now, folks, before we leave, And before I close with this final prayer, I want us to turn our attention to our funeral director right over here. It was me. I want to tell you, this man is such a kind, caring, compassionate man. He just gave me his new (laughs) London fog overcoat. Mm. He gave it to me, and he's probably saved my life. Because I'm so this cold and out here. And I just want to thank him, folks. And wasn't that nice of him? And everybody's clapping. And so we got through. I walked up and I said, well, I just wanted to do whatever I could. (laughs) Lord bless you. (laughs) My London overcoat, fog overcoat went away. (laughs) Did you know? (laughs) Did you know that a week after that? a former pastor of Thorpe Spring Baptist Church who's gone home to glory came up to me and said Roy I've got a London fog overcoat that I just can't wear anymore and i brand- I wore it one time would you like to have it tell me God's not in control okay thank y'all I want to tell you this I said this earlier too there are many many stories that we come across as we go through this life together as serving families. There are many, many times that we face the problems of how do we deal with families and how do we how do we help others. But I want to tell you guys this. I count it as an honor and a privilege to serve every one of them. I know you do, and it's an honor and a privilege to work as side ministers. <coughs> counselors, caregivers in every way, and I say that from the bottom of my heart, because together we're going to make this happen for these people that come into our lives, and that's what we're here for, is to serve others, and every time we have a family, treat every family like they're yours. God bless you. If anyone has anything they want to ask me, I'll be honored to help you. Thank you. Bye.